Hi, this is Edward James Olmos, Admiral Adama, to many of you, and you're listening to Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Think about it. Previously on Galactica Quorum. Your theory is, or you've been saying you have a theory that the fifth is dead. In a way, it's just, it's just because it appeals to me. It doesn't follow this path. It's a little twist. It's like we have five, and one of them happens not to be with the rest of them. I again will state my theory and my belief that the fifth is dead, and I just still like Ellen. I think it would almost make sense that Ellen, she felt so badly about what she did to Ty, for Ty, and if the two of them had been drawn as they were together, these two intense personalities, and they had both been this other type of Cylon, and to me that makes a lot of sense, and I still think that would be a nice... The other thing about Ellen is she showed up out of nowhere. Yeah, that. And she doesn't remember how she got there. I can see them writing an episode where they have this one bit of information that comes out. Suddenly, like, someone picks up an object from their locker or from some whatever. And you flash back to this thing. And as the story goes on, every flashback builds up well all more. All the pieces. All the pieces. And then by the very end of all these flashbacks, it's like, oh, that person was a final five... And at the end, you see their death, or you realize oh, that they died, and then it's like, oh. That's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Oh, it was Ellen, okay. Frack Earth. They're all Cylons, every one of them. She's a Cylon. She's a Cylon. Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica, and we are back with what we call Season 5. We have a nice full quorum this time. I'm Brian, and... I'm Dimitri. I'm Jen. I'm the other Jen. I'm Jason. I'm Michelle. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And we have a voicemail, 301-358-5175. We also have forums on our website, and we also have a Twitter account where you can follow us, where our name is Galactica Quorum. We're also on Facebook and MySpace. And since it is the new season, or half season, however you want to call it, we again get to point out that we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast, although I don't know if they've actually put one up yet. Yes, they have. Oh, they have? So... There are no spoilers for future episodes, but we will do plenty of speculating. And I don't watch the previews, although some other people in this podcast might. If you are joining us after a long hiatus, here's what you missed during the off-season. We did an interview with Mark Shepard in episode 50. We went to Dragon Con and interviewed Tom O'Panikin in episode 53. We interviewed Edward James Olmos in episode 55. We also won the Parsec Award for Best Fan Podcast. and we have just returned from the bsg prop auction in los angeles so michelle and i went to the prop auction that was really cool we got to talk with a lot of people i interviewed michael hogan that will be an interview coming up soon we got to do a co-podcast with the bsg cast and that is available on their video podcast and in our podcast feed as episode 61 which is the one previous to this Michelle, you have anything you'd like to add about the Los Angeles trip? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself, especially seeing the props. That was really cool. Of course, Brian 
completely trumped me and got to sit in the Raptor and sit in the Viper and didn't even tell me until after the fact. Were you snooping? Because when you guys went to Dragon Con, Brian was out, you know, seeing the world of sci-fi and you were in your bed sleeping because <laughs> you had too much to drink the night before. No, I, I think I was watching the Steelers game. Oh, okay. Let's see. Interview this guy or Steelers? Steelers, hello. But yeah, the prop auction was really cool. We got to meet a lot of people. I should really thank Jason, not you, Jason, but a fan, Jason, for buying us a beer at the frack party. We thank you very much for your support and this podcast for you as you ride to work on your motorcycle. <laughs> we also uh, got to meet Amanda, who's been a longtime contributor over the last almost, God, two years. That was fun. It was such a full weekend when we went to the prop auction. We had, well, there was the auction, number one, and there was the frack party where they show the first episode. The prop auction was really cool. They had so many props on display. They look really cool when you see them in person. What was the most expensive? Do you know what, what went, like, how much did the Raptor and the, and the Viper go for? The most expensive item I saw was the six dress, the red one. I think went for what, Michelle? Was it thirteen thousand dollars? Good lord! The Cylon Centurion costume went for eight thousand. A lot of the costumes from the characters went for high four figures. Uh-huh. There was a lot of items that were selling at uh, one thousand, two thousand. Some people got bargains. Like there's a person who purchased the Leoben shirt, one of his bloody shirts from when Starbucks stabbed him. She got that for like under the regular bidding price. I think she got it for 500 bucks, which is still 500 bucks, but compared to some of the other stuff that was going out, that that was uh, a bargain by comparison. As for the Raptor and the Viper and the Silent Raider, they all had reserve prices and they did not meet any of them. They all petered out around the Raptor, I think 30,000, the Viper 25, and I think the Raider also around 25. So for whatever reason, those. Well, maybe the fact that no one has that much money. Uh, but I think that was the minimum price? No, they started at like 10000 and they bid up a little bit, but uh-huh. they didn't get, the Raptor especially didn't get close to its reserve. I think the reserve for that was like 50000 or something. But uh, Where did the money go to? Uh, most of it went to Universal. There were a few items that were donated by cast, like Trisha Helfer donated her red dress, the one that went for 14000 or 13000 She donated that mm-hmm. specifically for... A lot of animal causes, PETA and other things like that. Okay. I was going to ask if any of it was charitable. That's that's nice that some of it was. Yeah, some of it was. But the large chunk of it was going right to Universal. They can be considered a charity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout the preview day, which was Friday, they had people who were involved in the design of the show on stage being interviewed and being asked questions. I was fortunate enough to be asked to do the interviewing of the art director, Doug McLean. That was a lot of fun. I had a good time doing that. And I also got a chance to interview for the podcast the prop master, the costume designer, and the scientific advisor. So that that was really cool. And we will have those interviews in upcoming podcasts. And on top of that, the man himself, Reynold D. Moore, came to look upon his creation and he walked the floor. I got a picture with him. I did not dare to ask for any questions. Uh, He was... uh, He was gracious enough just to take a picture with me. Yeah, I could tell he Fine. really done it. Can I you real quick? What's that? You're at a place now that you have to lose. I didn't dare ask him for an interview. You need to lose that from your mind completely. 
because you interviewed Eddie, Edward James almost. Everyone is fair game now. Okay? All right. I Move agree. on. Continue. Maybe in a different venue, but yeah, not right then. Oh, yeah. We also ran into uh, Richard Hatch. Uh, Luciana Cara was there. She played Cat. Quite fun. And what, all the pictures that Brian took, I'm going to put up on the Flickr feed. So if you go to our website, look on the sidebar, you'll be able to see our Flickr photos, and you'll see a lot of stuff from the auction. Well, we wanted to thank uh, Matt and Nat from BSG Cast for including us. Yeah, definitely. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully we get to see them again. They're doing another auction in Bay in Los Angeles, and don't really need an excuse to go to Los Angeles because it was just so beautiful, but uh, I definitely am looking forward to the chance of going back there because it was great. Okay, we have several voicemails dealing with this episode. We'll get to them in due course. What we'll probably do is start off with the recap, and then we'll move into our discussion. I have to say, if the last 10 episodes continue like this, writing the recap is going to be really tough because it's really hard to be snarky when you're dealing with storylines this heavy. With that said, let's go ahead and move into the recap for the episode, Sometimes a Great Notion. Dark, oily water laps the shore of devastated Earth as Galactica's landing party surveys the bleak landscape. The reports from across the globe are universally grim, no sign of life. The science team confirms the obvious. The planet was nuked 2,000 years ago, and it's still radiated, so don't drink the water or eat the three-eyed fish. D collects some toy jacks, the only grave marker for a child that didn't know what was coming. Arriving back on Galactica, Rosalind is met by expectant faces, but she has no words for them and flees the hangar deck. Still on Earth, Starbuck is tracking the Colonial Beacon, with Leoben tagging tentatively along. She finds a trail of wreckage, and each piece is more perplexing and disturbing than the last. The homing beacon is Colonial Issue. The tail number, her ship number. The pine-scented cockpit air freshener, the same one she bought at Caprica Mart. And then the blackened husk of the fuselage. Leoben isn't sure it's wise to know what or who might still be inside, but together they turn it over. The body of a Viper pilot sits hunched inside, still fastened in by the restraints. The skull behind the crack visor is unrecognizable, but the brittle blonde hair sparks an awareness. Compelled to know for sure, she pulls the dog tags. They are her own. Starbuck demands an answer, but for once Leoben has nothing enigmatic to say. The only thing he can muster is that he was wrong and starts backing away from her as if she has crypt cooties. There is another unexpected discovery on the planet. The ground team has dug up skeletons of people, and among them, metal remains of Cylon centurions. But it's not the Cylon uprising that Rosalind suspects. Using his new Cylon bone detector, Baltar announces that the 13th tribe were Cylons. Discovery is too much for Rosalind. Rosalind gives up, gives up the will to fight her cancer and her belief in the prophecies that brought them here. Burning the pages of the Book of Pythia, her faith goes up in smoke. So too does Starbuck, setting a funeral pyre for her other dead self. Tyrrell is hearing bells. He's drawn to a crack wall where his shadow fills in a smudged silhouette. His fingertips touch the stone surface, and he suddenly flips to another time. Earth, vibrant and alive, and he is there, among many others in the busy market, until a flash and then a blast wave, which jolts Tyrrell back to the same crumbled wall. Anders has his own moment of reverie, picking up the charred neck of a guitar and knowing that it was him who played a certain song, one about the hour getting late. In Rosalind's absence, the responsibility to inform the quorum has fallen to Lee. He's not sure of himself, but D gives him the go get him speech that first kicked his fat ass into action back on the Pegasus. Lee is bolstered by the confidence she projects and asks her to join him for a drink. After their date, D is glowing, Gita observes. She agrees, looking at herself in the mirror and at the picture of her younger self, that little girl from so long ago who has no idea what's in store for her. Humming, she carefully places her cherished possessions in her locker, holding on to that luminous feeling right until she puts the sidearm to her head and pulls the trigger. It's Adama's turn to be despondent and looking for answers. He stalks the turbulent hallways of Galactica, ignoring the mix of lethargy and unruliness. He barges into Ty's quarters, tells him it's time for a sit-down, and proceeds to goad him into putting a gun to Adama's forehead. 
but Ty sees through the gambit and backs down. Adama gathers himself and addresses the fleet. He pledges to push forward and find a new home. Ty organizes the departure of the ground survey team. Deanna asks if he isn't tired of running. Just ride the tide out to sea, he muses, and wades into the water. He touches his hands to the surface, a vast liquid interface that flashes him back to his last moments with Ellen. Ellen, Ty realizes, is the fifth. Roll credits. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I feel I feel like this whole episode could have also been titled the same as the graffiti on the wall when um when he was walking through that just said Frack Earth. <laughs> I don't believe it's Ellen. I think it's a big tease. Who else would it be if it's not can Ellen? I, can I tell you, can I tell you my, my theory before anybody says it? Go ahead. They're all Cylons. Every one of them. All of humanity is Cylons. But they are. Aren't they all descendants of the 13th tribe? No, but I mean, it's like these five, for some reason, are the final five because maybe they are special somehow. But I think everybody is a Cylon. Okay. The way I would phrase it is they had all this build-up to who is the fifth Cylon. So was it a good thing or a bad thing that the reveal of the final Cylon was like the fourth or fifth most interesting part of the episode? There were multiple scenes that were just like, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Oh, it was Ellen. Okay. But yeah, I told it, my husband that it was Ellen, and he checked out of watching the series around season two when Starbuck was going to save the world all the time. But when he found out he was Ellen, his words were BSG, BFD, because um, I guess it was way back when Ellen was first having sex with Ty and she was wearing a red shirt and we just found out that Cylon's backs glowed red when uh, when they had sex and I remember both of us screaming at the TV like she's a Cylon, she's a Cylon so if she is the Cylon then that's, I, I don't know I wish I'd stuck to my guns for longer and had faith that it really was Ellen if it was But if it's Ellen then how do you explain Starbucks charred body with her own dog tags and her ring already on the planet and she's standing there looking at it. How do you explain that away? I think that's a totally different thing from the five. Of course it's all related, but that unexplained phenomenon is separate from the reveal of the fifth. I can see it being separate because Starbuck is, you know, magical girl and everything that happens to her is unique and interesting. So don't get me wrong. I love Starbuck, but she would get her own mythology plotline. Well, just on the subject of Ellen, as we were preparing to watch the episode for the Frack Party, I was talking with someone we met there named Jeff, who goes by, he's a DJ, he goes by DJ Brazen, and he gave me a really cool CD of uh, some music he does that's got like, it had a BSG mix in it, which is really nice, which I think I'm going to use in one of my video podcasts, but he had an idea that it was Adama's wife that was going to be the fifth Cylon. I've always been the one who's been the proponent of Ellen being the fifth, but I like that idea too, because it was a character that was off screen. And the one thing I liked about it was if she was the fifth Cylon, that meant that Lee Adama would fit the Leoban proclamation that Adama is a Cylon because he would have been the offspring of a fifth. So I thought that was pretty clever. Here's my question though. Was it Jen who said she didn't think it was Ellen? Yes. We've actually had a couple people say that they don't buy that it's Ellen, but I don't understand why they would think it's not. Well, Do you think they would actually reveal Ellen as being Ty's wife when he was revealed? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think they would pull something like that. Right. If you can give me something to explain away Starbucks, then maybe, but... I mean, they're going to give Starbuck away. Obviously, she's... If she is a Cylon, then how did she resurrect? 
and where? And how come she has the brand new ship? Who did that for her? That's the one thing that I feel like is going to lead back to some guiding force that's kind of been pushing this along. They've been mentioning for a while that something has been guiding them. Some other hand has been pushing events. And whether it's the god or it's gods or if the final five is part of the pantheon themselves uh, or something like that. Ellen's really dead, right? We really saw Ty kill her. Yes. Okay. So the fifth Cylon is dead. Could it be that when one of the five dies, like, I don't know, the sleeper Cylon comes up? Like, is there like an heir and a spare? There's been these things on the sci-fi website that have been clues about who the fifth is and the truth and all that. One of the images is of a in utero child with a glowing spine. And that somehow is supposed to be some clue. And I guess that's supposed to mean that we understand that they are reborn. But I don't know where else that could go unless we've heard some wacky theories while we were in L.A. about how possibly one of the unborn children now would be Ellen again. Which is hmm. creepy. That is kind of creepy. Okay, if the baby that Six is carrying is Ty's baby and it ends up being Ellen, that's just not right. <laughs> what if it ends up being Starbuck? Well, now that theory has been thrown around that Starbuck is actually Ty's kid. Well, we did have that theory see- once. We had a, a theory from a listener that Ty is Starbuck's father, and, and I'll again state how much I love and hate that theory. But the one thing about Starbuck that, to me, takes her outside of the Final Five equation is that she's never been in any of the Opera House visions. Another thing that was interesting to me is that Hera has been, but Nikki has not. So is Hera the true future because she is the child of a non-Final Five and a human, whereas Nikki and potentially Starbuck are not? I'm curious why Hera gets significance and Nikki does not. Can I ask a question that I brought up last time with the podcast last week? We know who the four Cylons are. Why do we still care who the fifth one is? I made that joke before. It's not like they're like Thundercats. They're going to come together and create some sort of machine. You know what I mean? Like, why? Am, yeah. I, tell I me why I should care. That's Voltron. <laughs> tell me why I should care. Okay. Well, that, you brought that up last time or the time before. And at the time, I thought that was a very relevant point. Now I see that the final four has more meaning. I feel like the final four's purpose, we thought, was to guide them to Earth. And then their usefulness would be served. And, you know, like you said, what more can they do? Now, I think they play a huge role in the whole mythology of the series. The fact that we see them and we know now that they are reborn. Ellen had a really key line in the very last scene. First of all, when Ty is running around, she calls out his name and then she calls out Saul, which is his name in both timelines. And he goes to her and she says, quote, everything's in place. We'll be reborn again. So they are serving a purpose And they will, again, serve a purpose in this series, not just because they found this Earth. And I think they are key to what that is. They're Final Five Cylons in the Twelve, but I think they're more than that. I think they have some higher purpose. I think the fact that they're Final Five Cylons is almost like just an extra title that they have. I think they have something even more. How about we play a voicemail? Okay, our first voicemail is from Dustin. Hey guys, my name's Dustin. I just wanted to say you're probably the smartest Galactico podcast that I've come across. And um, I just watched the first episode of season four, oh, season five. <laughs> that um, maybe it's more my, my bias, but I've always had a hated those ancient astronaut theories because you know it was a fad, and you know it was so thoroughly debunked, and nobody wanted to listen to the people who you know were saying this is why these theories don't make sense. 
So I was really hoping that the twist at the end of the series would be that they got their history wrong. Instead of coming from COBOL and going to the 12 colonies in Earth, they came from Earth to COBOL and got their history messed up. And that what happened at the, what we saw at the end of, of Revelations was the remnant of the Holocaust that caused them to flee the planet in, in the first place. Now, after what, you know, I was hoping, you know, they would just do this in the name of science because we know we share DNA with every animal that's ever, ever evolved on this planet. We have 25% of the same DNA as cabbage. So I, I've been taking a rationalist view of the whole Earth thing. And now I'm starting to think after that first episode that I don't know what to think. Um, it's either Earth's very distant future, you know, even further in the future than we thought, the past, or maybe an alternate reality, where, and maybe they really haven't found Earth yet. Maybe they'll find a new planet, they'll settle on it, and they'll pull back into space in the very last shot of the series, and we'll see that it has North America on it. Yeah. So, I don't know what you guys think. Ron Moore is a pretty savvy guy, according to one of the former um, designers of Star Trek, you know, in terms of science, but I know he will take a liberty to serve the story if that's what he wants to do. So I just wanted to get everybody's opinion on that. Uh, keep, keep up the good work. I look forward to the rest of the season, of, uh, and I look forward to the accompanying episodes of Galactic War. Now, this is something I've been considering is the Earth question. One of the many things that was a bombshell that we saw from this episode. We last left them at the end of the cliffhanger back in, what was it, last June or whatever. I was pretty convinced that they weren't fooling around and it was Earth. I'm not as convinced now. First of all, the Earth that they found is not us. First of all, we're not silent with silent technology. And you could say it's in the future or whatever, but it just does not ring as our Earth to me at all. So if it's not Earth, what is it? Is it just a place that the silence have called Earth? And the other thing which I found interesting is they have not shown any recognizable continents when they've actually been to, quote, Earth. When they arrived, you saw the side of the planet, but nothing recognizable. The only time we've seen Earth with something recognizable that was the North American continent was in that super flyby at the end of season three. Now, that came right after Starbucks said she had seen Earth and she was going to take us there. But notice that that was not her actually being at Earth. It came right after she said the statement, which is to me almost a sleight of hand because they could be two different things. She said she saw Earth and then we see Earth, but they might be two different places altogether. But wasn't there a line in this episode where they said something the effect of that the navigator or something had lined up and the star patterns match? Right. What they find when they found Earth? Right. But again, they're following a map from the book of Pythia. Pythia was a Cylon. So uh, they're, they're following the path of the Cylons to Cylon Earth, which may not be, again, they called it Earth. Is it really Earth? I'm wondering now if there isn't truly another destination out there for them kind of to turn the same question on its head. Is it Earth or is it a different time that we're in an Earth? I mean, could the Earth that they've landed on actually be their future and Starbucks finding her future self dead and as in she is the harbinger of death or whatever and what they're doing there, they're at that Earth at the wrong time in the wrong place because it's almost as though Starbuck herself was out of time and out of place. Yeah. So... Yeah, I like that. Time loop or something. I like that idea. I had something similar that I was trying to noodle out several months ago where it was something very similar to that, where Starbuck had gone through a time and I was trying to figure out like 
draw it out on the map. Like Starbuck enters here. The Viper that she's returning with is actually one from an earlier time. And after a while, I just made my head hurt and I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) So I don't know, but I like that line of thought. The only problem with that now is, I guess, or does it matter that there are two Vipers, basically one up in the Galacticus hangar and one down destroyed. I don't know if the universe would allow for two to exist at one time in the same plane of existence. I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, back to the future. Right. Yeah. Can the two (laughs) things meet? It's almost like, positive and antimatter, you know, I don't know. I don't think that this show is about time and travel. I think it, I don't think it's going to be that. It doesn't seem right for this show to be a time travel type thing. No, I agree with you on that one. I just wonder if instead of time travel, there will be something else, the big guiding hand that has been guiding them all along and has power over all. It's like, it doesn't matter that, you know, they use this hardware that's rooted in very, basic technology if there's some other force out there that allows these five to resurrect and actually michelle was it you who had the idea we talked about this very briefly during the bsg cast episode you said that they seem to have perfected the cylon resurrection technology on earth well the way that ellen had said it that they were going to be reborn and that everything was in place it sounded like the final five or the Cylons that were on supposed Earth were the ones who had created the resurrection technology. So that made me think if they had created the resurrection technology and they were reborn and then settled the 12 colonies, then the 12 colonies are all Cylons too. I mean, isn't that the way it went that the ones from Earth went to the 12 colonies? Is that the way it worked? Either way, even if they did we all have to go back to this has all happened before line. I mean, if you look at the Cylon that was on the Earth planet, like the Cylon is different, right? Mm-hmm. So, or the Centurion is different. So the Cylons on Earth did all that stuff during their timeline, and then the colonies ended up coincidentally doing the exact same thing. I'm sure once the humans get wiped out, it'll happen all over again. See, I think the fact that the Cylons are on the planet and the final five were there, it's almost, it doesn't matter that it was Cylons. I, I feel like the final five were there because it was the next time for them to be there. In other words, like there's probably somewhere else they were before that, another civilization. I feel like that the final five are so special in some way that they can like attach themselves to any group now. I think they are not so much the final five of the models, but Maybe the guiding hand that created the 12 models, it was almost inevitable that they would be part of them somehow. And that maybe they themselves had a hand in saying, okay, we're going to throw ourselves into the mix of these 12. Let's play another voicemail. This one comes from Josh. Hey, uh, this is Josh from Israel. I just wanted to respond to uh, the next um, episode, which you're probably going to be doing about the latest episode of BSG. Oh, I could just as easily sit here shrieking for half an hour saying everything that just happened last episode like a little girl. But I figure you'll probably take care of that yourself and address all the issues. One thing I wanted to point out, though, if all of these people on Earth are Cylons, this means that there's a Cylon story arc way, way back before the creation of the Cylons and the Twelve Colonies. Therefore, I wanted to ask you, because I know that this is true for me, I suddenly now feel that Caprica is going to be a whole lot interesting than I thought it would be. Just wanted to bring that up. Um... Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Yes, the Caprica show that will be premiering sometime later this year, I believe. 
And actually, in Caprica News, in a previous podcast, we mentioned they had greenlit the series. They are breaking the scripts, so they will begin breaking the scripts in February and begin shooting in the summer. So they will have a premiere of the episodic series in 2010. But regarding whether Caprica will answer all these questions or make it all that much more easy to understand, don't expect that to happen. Obviously, I have not seen Caprica, but uh, I will just say that I know a little bit about the miniseries, and consider this minor spoilers or whatever. We'll have another show where we talk about Caprica in great detail, and I will just spill the spoilers if you want to <laughs> listen. But just minor spoiler here, very minor. It does not seem to me that it in any way has anything to do with any of what we are seeing right now. It has to deal with, almost tangentially, with the one god versus the multi-gods. And it is the beginning of the Cylon technology as far as AI and the toasters. But Final Five, other stuff, mysticism, a guiding hand, none of that. It seems like it's going to be even less of a sci-fi show. They're just rooted on the planet, and it's about gods or God. That just seems really like Days of Our Caprica or something. Yeah. <laughs> All my Caprica. Well, we were a bit worried that Caprica was going to be just like a lawyer show or something along those lines. I can allay those fears that, at least in the miniseries, it's pretty much just two families dealing with loss. How about one more voicemail? This one is from our friend Amanda. Hey, this is Amanda from Pennsylvania, actually now in California. just wanted to say what a good start episode that was. It was so action-packed, and I just cannot wait to see where it goes. Although I'm a little disappointed, we got none of Ty and his baby's mama six. I want to see where that plot goes. Hopefully we'll see more next week. Talk to you guys later. And, oh, Earth equals Silent Homeworld. What's up with that? Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. I find that storyline very unentertaining. I just I want, I want like her it. back in Baltar's head. She's much more interesting there. I absolutely do not like the Thai Caprica storyline. Unless Caprica is Ellen. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Unless that's what's going to be revealed, but still don't like it. Well, I think we'll see some of them in the next episode. Again, I don't watch the previews, but Ron Moore is directing the next one. And I know two things about the one he is directing. One is that... When Katie Sackhoff did her press teleconference last year, she said that she only had one scene in it, so we can expect very little Starbuck. And the other thing is, on Ron Moore's blog, when he was directing at the time, he showed a photo from the set when he was directing of a monitor, and on the monitor screen, there was a picture of Ty and Caprica. They will at least have some scene together. I really want to talk about D. I was just thinking the same thing. I was completely surprised that she... Well, first of all, we, th- we I was thinking, oh, God, maybe she's a Cylon. And then I was completely surprised that she killed herself, but I wasn't surprised by the action. Like, everything about what she was doing telegraphed it. But I was more surprised that that's where they went. And I'm kind of disappointed that they seem to be killing off the secondary female characters. You know, Callie got airlocked, and now Dee has offed herself. And so we're sort of left with this clutch of mopey men. It's funny that you bring up the Callie death, because... This episode struck me as a very much like the Callie episode and that it was a secondary character who in the end had a scene that was very powerful and moving and she died. And I checked and the director was the same, Michael Nankin. And I also did some more digging and realized that he also directed Maelstrom, which was the Starbuck death episode, quote unquote death. And he also directed the Passage episode, which was the cat death episode. 
Jeez. So he has one more episode to direct in one of the last four episodes, so watch out. Someone's going to die. <laughs> the Roslyn, Starbucks, McDonald's. Watch out. Well, I just think it's interesting. I mean, if you look at the reactions, the two most interesting things I saw, and one of them, I mean, this is part of the D thing. You've got, to me, the two people that have held this whole thing together, Adama and Roslyn, they've basically both given up. So I think that, to me, is like the interesting thing that's got to play out now. Like, does this thing fall apart? You know, do they do the heroic comeback, or does someone else have to step up and hold everyone together because the people who base their whole existence on reaching this point have now given up on everything. Right. And to what level does the uh, depression and the spiral go? We've been told that things only get worse. Right. We heard firsthand from people on the show that the final episode is going to just really, really be tough to handle. <laughs> I don't know other way to describe it, but it. I just hope it isn't um, a constant battering of us, the viewers. I hope the writers aren't sadistic and purposefully, uh, I don't know why they would, um, but... Weren't you the one that had the theory last year that it could end with, like, the majority of the fleet dying and, like, a small group of mixed Cylons and humans surviving? That's right. So, still plausible. I don't think it would behoove the writers to leave the audience with a bad taste in its mouth because that would not... You don't want to piss off your audience and then introduce a new show. Right. You don't want to piss us off with some sort of ridiculous, lost-like ending or something, you know? And then people are going to be like, well, that sucked. And then when Caprica comes around, they'll be like, nah, whatever. I watched the Galactica. It was good at the beginning, and then it sucked. I'm not going to do like that stuff again. Yeah, I mean, there's a line between... Like, let's say a lot of the characters end up dying. And in most likelihood is going to happen. There's a line between that happening and it being senseless deaths, like people just being ripped apart by some kind of terrible action and, and just senselessness of it. And maybe there's some sort of message that might come along with that. But we did a podcast with the geeks on, Michelle and I, and one of the questions that Aaron asked us, Aaron Hendricks, who was uh, on the geeks on group, he asked, what would make you happy when this show ends? The answers that we all gave were kind of along the same lines. I had said that I wanted to see character arcs resolved uh, in a meaningful and satisfying way. Because now that they have found or not found Earth, what else is left? I don't hold hope for humanity finding a nice, happy place to park. So I want to see what happens to these characters. And if some of them meet a happy ending, that's fine. If a lot of them happen to die, that's fine as well. But I just don't want to be senseless. I think it was Aaron who said that he would be happy if there was, at the end of everything, just a sense of release, that they had done a show, they had done a story, and at the end of it, you can take a breath and see in totality what it was about. And I think those two kind of go hand in hand, because if you, at the end of a series, do something in which the characters are, for no good reason, just thrown about like rag dolls, just because you can, I think the viewership will be kind of upset. And there won't be any sort of gratification about that type of ending. Well, what do you consider senseless? Do you consider Dee's death senseless? No, I feel that death was very well represented. I think they gave her her due. I think throughout the whole episode, from the moment she stepped back on the Galactica after that she was breaking apart on the shuttle ride back up, and she was just literally, she was saying, hold it together, Dee, hold it together. And when she was going through the motions, I just felt something ominous coming. And so... When it did happen, I wasn't completely surprised. 
I wasn't happy, but I, I felt it was done correctly. Uh, what I mean by senseless is just if they just, I don't know, like if some people storm the bridge and just start spraying bullets and like Gata takes one in the head or, and just people just flop over dead and for no good reason. And sure, there might be red shirts could die or whatever, but if in just a wide swath, they get rid of a bunch of characters and just some meaningless, uh, catastrophe or engagement i'll be like why there has to be a purpose behind it so with that let's play jesse's voicemail so this is jesse jackson just wanted to say i really enjoyed the kickoff to the second half of the final season it's a great example of paying off storylines where we've had characters we were really invested in and cared about what happened to them i did have a scary thought though what if that when they sent the episode into the sci-fi channel, the label on this episode was labeled the funny episode. Can you imagine how dark things are going to be if this episode was the feel-good episode of the last 10? A scary thought. Have a great week and looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts about the new episodes. Bye. So yeah, that's kind of just like we were talking about. Aside from the huge shocking developments from this episode, it kind of went as expected for me. Adama and the crew say frack it, and they just started going down a dark path where they just didn't care anymore. Rosalind the same way. The question is for how long? In a previous podcast, I said I didn't want there to be a 10-episode pity party where people just started getting really angry and grumpy and having it devolve into just pure anarchy where humanity tears itself into little tiny bits and the spark just fades and fizzles away. I wouldn't be satisfied with that. So my question is, where do they go from here? At the end, Adama goes back on the bridge, pulls on his uniform, takes a breath, and speaks into the PA system and says, we're going to try to find something new. Is he mean it? People in the hallway, sure, they're going to remain gloomy, but are they going to further start getting crazy and start rebelling and start taking over the ship? What happens from here? To me, this episode was very much the second part of the Revelations episode. And at the end of that episode, I was like, where are they going to go from here? Where are the writers going to take us? They could go anywhere. And now we're at that stage. Next episode, where are they going to go? What conflicts are they going to have? Is Cavalier's fleet going to show up? When they go looking for a new star system, what are they going to find? Will the crew go along with it? Are they just too mopey about it? What's the deal with Starbuck? You know, all that stuff. The final five. I understand the not wanting a 10-episode pity party, but just for continuity, I would actually also be upset unless the timeline takes a jump. This discovery has to be the underpinnings of everything that happens this season because you basically gave them a gut punch for the second time in as many, you know, outside of the complete destruction of the colonies. I mean, this is what they were focused on, and it's a gut punch. I would actually be upset if everybody returned to normal too quickly. Right. I agree with you. I agree with that. Especially, I was almost, one thing I thought was kind of odd was the fact that there was the scene with Hilo and Athena, and they came in and they were, all, it seemed like they were going off to go somewhere, and Dee and Apollo went off on their date, and sure, her happiness was really a facade, but I was almost like, really? Are these people that tuned out so that they are not affected by it? So, I agree with you uh, in that respect. Who that leads to was the obvious choices to actually pull everybody in the the butt and get them up again for silence. Because they've recovered from a complete destruction before. I would almost be intrigued to think that, like, you know, maybe Ty's the one that again seizes the mantle. Maybe Tori takes Rosalind's place in a a kind of basis, you know? 
I couldn't deal with Tori taking Rosalind's place, but I love the idea of Ty finally having his moment. Yeah. Well, this brings up two other things uh, that might be worth looking over. And one is, do we revisit now the idea of the dying leader finding Earth? I think part of the prophecy was that the leader had to die. And I don't think she has, unless she thinks that now she has to make herself, maybe she just wants to die now. But is it possible that they've been throwing us a curve a while? And now Lee, since he's stepping up to assume her position, is if they do find a true place to park the Galactica, is he going to be the dying leader that's told the prophecy? Or does it not matter anymore because the prophecy was written by Pythica and Pythica was the Cylon who led them to Earth? You know, is If it- that prophecy doesn't matter anymore, then that would drive me absolutely insane because this, you know, the show has set up their rules and these are part of the show's rules and to just throw them out at the end, it's like pulling a JJ Abrams. <laughs> well, how about we revisit the last supper picture? Most of what happened in the first half of the season of season four has come to pass. And we know the meaning of most of the symbols and the staging of where people were arrayed around that table. There's two things now that we can revisit. One of them is we know what Rosalind was burning as she was sitting at the end of the table. The other is, and this can be actually taken two ways, is Lee was sitting alone with an empty chair next to him and looking very pensive. I had taken that to mean that Dee ended up dying. Someone else that we met this weekend had a different theory. He said that there's an empty space on the opposite side of Lee is Ty, and Ty is looking over in that empty space, and the goblet, the chalice, is in front of this empty space. And to him, that was the big clue that Ellen was the fifth Cylon, because the fifth Cylon was not in the picture. There was an empty space there. Ellen was killed by a poisoned cup, and so that was the big clue. It's so handy that The Last Supper worked out so well for Battlestar. Yeah. When you're talking about Physica and the prophecy and the dying leader, I mean, I guess you could also go back to just that religious theme that there's plenty of examples where the people looked at a scripture, interpreted a certain way, and expected it to happen, you know, and it, well, it wasn't this time, it wasn't this person. We've seen it in, quote-unquote, real scripture and movie religions, you know, that what the people thought was the answer wasn't the answer at that time, it was someone down the road. The most obvious recent example being Star Wars. As in the midichlorians? <laughs> As in... Well, no, as in you were the one that was supposed to bring balance to the Force. Oh, right. Well, he didn't bring balance to the Force. He produced the person that did. So if you want to really get, you know, really parse it, well, he did, just not in the way that Obi-Wan expected. Fair point. I'm looking at the poster right now, actually, and, you know, Athena is pointing to Adama. I mean, my pet theory, can we, or is that for later? No, go ahead. (laughs) It's not even a pet theory. It's just something that I thought would be kind of cool. Would be if uh, Zach Adama, if he was actually one of the Cylons or the fifth Cylon, that might, with Ellen, that might be blown out of the water. But I thought that that would kind of be a cool connection because, of course, he's just this character that we know of in the beginning. And yes, he died, but was his body ever recovered? I I don't, I can't remember the history that well, but Mm. I thought that would have been kind of fun. And again, that satisfies the Leoban line. Right, that, exactly. That I've I've always kept going back to, but I'm beginning to think now that that's just something that he just said to mess with her mind, and it doesn't really matter. It's a good line, though, because it really could have gone either way. I, I guess at one point, the writers said, all right, does this line hold that importance, or is it just a line that we could say, 
eh, it didn't really mean it because it, it's not like it was a scripture. It was just something he said. Speaking of Leoben, he was really freaked out by Starbuck at the end of that, which I thought was I thought it was kind of cool to see him sort of lose it. That was very well done. The guy that was so sure and the guy that was not necessarily mind-screwing Starbuck, but, you know, thought that he had all the answers and was trying to explain it to her. And he was like, okay, I can't explain this. <laughs> yeah, that was fun to watch. And it was fun to watch Starbuck freak out at the idea of him freaking out. Because she was so right. used to him being kind of the ballast and all this. Well, and also, just what minorly threw me about that was I could have sworn that when she quote unquote died, her viper like exploded. Yeah, it did. Well, it did. It broke into pieces, kind of like the Columbia. That you know, it broke into pieces, and you know, there's chunks that eventually fall to Earth. But Leoben is Cylon that comes from a race of people that resurrected up until a certain point, not too long ago. Why would he be all freaked out by Starbuck? standing there looking at her at her dead self, right? Because in theory, then, he should have just assumed that she was the fifth Cylon because he doesn't know about Ty and Ellen and whatever happened in the water. That hasn't played out any, to anybody yet. So why would Leoben be freaked out about... In his brain, he should have just been like, holy shit, she's the fifth Cylon. That Is it only logical. Deanna who knows who the, who the five are? Has she shared that with other people? She has not. That's <laughs> that's been one of my little complaints that she conveniently decided not to tell Ty at the very end. By the way, your wife was the fifth. We haven't found out who she apologized to yet either. Oh yeah, yeah. This was a deleted scene from our last podcast, or was it? I don't know if it was. <laughs> I forget what we kept and what we deleted. But I had asked in our town hall conference who the person was that she said that to. We went through the list and. If it was Ty, it makes sense because Ty was tortured and they just did really bad things to him. If it was her, Ellen, that makes a lot of sense because it's like, oops, we killed you. And if we had known, we would have protected you. The other guys, it doesn't really seem like it matters as much. Yeah, no, that's a simple answer. I just think they have to reveal it at some point. Just to go back one second to what Dimitri said, I, I agree with his statement about Leoben freaking out. It's like, I, I thought it was a well-played, well-acted, well-written scene. It is just kind of strange that he knew that she was some sort of prophet-ish, special, bordering on angelic figure, and for him to freak out over this thing that was kind of unusual is like, really? Like, she's done all these things. She saw in a, in a vision the flaming base star that drew her over to find him. You know, all that stuff happened, and it's like, well, that didn't freak you out. But, but this does? So, yeah, it was a little bit strange. But it's almost like up until this point, everything that she's been doing has been... Following um, his His path. script, yeah. 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 And that this is deviating from his script, and that's freaking him out, because it's now calling into question his, I guess, his scripture. Right, right. One thing Jason and I discussed very briefly earlier today was on the old pre-nuked Earth, the Cylons that we saw or didn't see in the market. They showed people in the scene, but they were careful not to show too many faces. There was one shot where they showed a blonde woman sort of in the background, but who was not one of the other characters like Starbuck or Ellen or whatever. It was just a blonde woman. So we were wondering, what are these other Cylons? You know, it's not just final fives that happen to live on the planet. I think it comes back to the Cylons were actually just a tribe that happened to be the ones that created the robots that led to everything. You know, that's kind of like Frankenstein's monster is wrongly called Frankenstein when it's really just the monster. Well, maybe the Cylons were a tribe 
that created the robots that caused all the problems. And they were called Cylons because of the creators. Like, it was a whole other race. I don't know. Many questions. That's As I talked about in one of the podcasts or one of the panels this past weekend in L.A., I feel like we have spent much energy and brain calories trying to figure out things like the ending, the final five, their nature. And I really feel like a lot of that truly was just folly because I think a lot of what we will come to know and to understand about them is not even going to be revealed until a few episodes from now. I think they've been holding a lot of key information close to the vest. They've always meant to reveal kind of like in the last few pages of the chapter of a long book so as to not give away answers prematurely that people out there watching on the internet with months and months between off seasons to figure things out would be able to deduce. So I think we're getting closer now, but I think that there is still stuff out there that will make things a lot easier to understand. I think it's going to just be something that at this point, we're, like I said, we're getting closer, but I think we still don't have enough clues yet. Well, going back to real life for a second, I, and I was reading an article, and it wasn't about BSG, but I think the same thing would apply because Lost started again. One of the writers of Lost basically said when ABC told them, okay, this is when it's ending, like this is how many episodes you have left, it really helped clarify the storylines for them and, you know, what they had to do when. And maybe it was the same thing with the BSG writers. You know, they were kind of going at a rate not knowing when it would end. So when Sci-Fi Channel said, okay, this is how many you've got left, well, okay, now we know where our plot's heading and what episodes we have to do to get everything out. Okay, I think we've come to the point where we grade the episode. Would anyone like to go first? I'll go first. I'll give it an A. I mean, you knew that it had to be a sad episode. Even knowing that, there were still surprises, and it was just really well done by so many of the actors, too. Leoben, Rosalind burning the book, uh, Adama having his meltdown. It was just, I have no problems with that episode. I'm, I'm fine with sad, with sad things. I second Jason's A. You know, with D shooting herself, I didn't see that coming. And it happened so quickly. I thought she was just kind of sad that Earth sucked, but her love life was coming back, and then boom. And so, and the acting was really good too. And uh, and I liked how they, you know, were revealing. Even though I don't know what's happening with the final four or five Cylons, I liked the flashbacks to like two thousand years ago, or whatever. So I give it an A too. And it was nice to get some, even though, even though by getting all these answers, we still got a bunch of questions. At least they were answers. I don't mind answers that are in themselves a question. Nice way to start off. I'm going to go with an A as well, just because we had such a long break that I was getting so scared that, you know, I'd get overly excited about the episode and be thoroughly disappointed, and I wasn't disappointed at all. So I'm giving it an A. I thought it was really good. I think I'd give it an A, too. There was lots of moments during the episode where I said, like, oh, 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 you know, it, you know, that's really cool. Or, oh dear, D just shot herself in the head. Um, <laughs> so it, it was surprising and it was interesting. And I think it was a really good catch up episode at the same time as having interesting things happen. For me, at first, this one was hard to grade because it was like reveal, reveal, reveal. It wasn't like a traditional multi act story arc, but this is the type of show that you point to when you want someone. You want to show someone that sci-fi series are more than cliche laser battles and the slimy aliens because this episode, it hit home really hard. It's really one of the most powerful episodes I've ever seen. I watched this 
a couple times writing notes and stuff. And each time I would see something new, like some new parallel between character arcs throughout the story. You can kind of tell the level of respect I have for an episode by the level of cynicism in the recap because there's like an inverse proportional relationship there. And this one was just to me really, really good. I thought it was just one of the best. I don't give these lightly. I think it was an A. That's shocking from you. Yeah. Okay, I think that is it for this episode. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. Keep sending those voicemails. Our voicemail number is 301-358-5175. The jump clock is running. See you next time. We'll see we all. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Did you guys like come up with a prepared statements or something, or are you just ready to roll? Prepared statements. <laughs> well, you you, you Twitter just like I'm. We they want a podcast. I must podcast. I was like, ooh, they got stuff to say. So don't let me uh, down. I don't really have anything to say. I just figured that it would be kind of stupid to like win an award and then not have a podcast once the show actually comes back on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, we should discuss what the gens are going to be. I think so as not to be confused, we should just say Jen and Jen. How about Jen and Jennifer? (laughs) Uh, How about we just make up new names and uh, call you uh, Samantha? I like that. I want a new name every time I say something. (laughs) It can sound like a lot of people. (laughs) All right, Sybil. That works. (laughs)